I'm just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Biff, bam, pow. Let's take a trip down to the Batcave for Batman Land. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. Our weekly discussion of the 1966 Batman TV show. Each week we're joined by a guest. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's Batman! We need him now. Where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. When I'm not spelunking my way down to the Batman Land cave. Let's go! I'm Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. Of course, like the villain of this week's episode, there are two faces behind this podcast. And I'm joined here by my fellow editor here at SBS, Fiona Williams. Hello, Fiona. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And joining us in the Batman Land cave this week, we've got Benjamin Riley, writer, podcaster, man about town. Hi, Dan. It's good to be here. It's great to have you on board. Uh, now, we should probably give some credentials for you. You turn to write for various publications around the place. I do. I do. I write mostly about queer things. Yeah. Um, so I was a journalist for a long time at the Star Observer, LGBTI newspaper, and now kind of freelance for various places, but still have kept up the focus on LGBTI issues. Yeah. And Batman is, sensibly, it's kind of a queer text in a lot of ways. And I'd be kind of curious to see what you think of it as the show goes yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be interested to talk about that as well. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a few camping trips that we've discussed in episodes <laughs> gone by. Uh, but you've also got a podcast. We might want to give that a plug as well. Uh, I do. The podcast is called uh, Queers, which probably gives some indication as to what it's about, uh, where I and my co-host Simon Copland, who's another uh, writer um, who also writes about queer stuff, we we do kind of deep dives into queer politics and culture. So it's kind of a like a critical perspective on topics in the news and in queer media. And I guess it's kind of an insider look at, at queer issues. Yeah. And I mentioned Batman to you the other day and your eyes lit up. So here we are. Yes, well, I'm I'm very excited. I'm a, I'm a long time comic book reader and and fan of Batman, so uh, keen to get stuck in. Yeah, and stuck in we shall get. Right away. This week we're discussing two episodes: True or False Face. This episode went to air on the 9th of March, 1966, and the follow-up episode, which aired the day later, Holy Rat Race, which aired on March 10th. Now, guys, False Face. Did anyone know this character before we went into the episode? Uh, ben, you're a comics guy. No, I had never heard of False Face before and was um, had been really excited to see some of my favourite Batman villains kind of come to life in the 1966 television show and got one that uh, apparently didn't exist outside of these two episodes. He was never heard from again. Well, apparently the reason they didn't use the character a second time is because the guy has no face and he scared mm. kids watching it. So they decided to retire the character. Oh, <laughs> It's one right. kind of terrifying looking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's a yeah. bit weird. Also, lacking in personality, I dare suggest. Yeah, sure. Well, he didn't even get a, a kind of acting credit <laughs> in the in the opening sequence. It's just question marks as false face. <laughs> Which I kind of like that. But the actual reason, according to, I think it was IMDb trivia that I came across, is the gentleman that was playing the role of false face, and we're talking about him in a little bit, but he was offered less money than the female lead in the episode, the guest star playing Blaze. And so he you know, got into an argument with the producers and the agreement was to remove his name from the opening titles. But in the second episode, so he's there under the closing credits. So they resolved mm. it in some way. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I wasn't sure that maybe two actors played it and they just couldn't work out who to credit. Yeah, I mean, it could be any actor behind it. Mm. I mean, he does some very jaunty jigs every so often throughout the episode. He does some impressive kind of leaping side uh, heel clicks. Yeah. So. Yeah, Lip and Larry kind that. of. Yeah. 
Well, this thing, if you don't have a face to express with, you've got to do something. <laughs> now, this episode actually marks the halfway point for season one. So we're halfway through this. Yay, we've made it. <laughs> we have. Yeah. Okay, halfway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I thought it was interesting at the very beginning, we learned that one of the trademarks of Falseface is that he likes giving false quotes. So we see one early one from him saying, all that glitters is gone. Shouldn't that be all that glitters is gold? Oh, that's the trademark of false face, a false quote. Does this trademark come back at all over the, the rest of the two episodes? I feel like he has a lot of kind of quite confusing trademarks. And they all seem to be really well-known trademarks that he has from a character yeah. we've never heard of before yeah. or since. Peyton Pending on them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he's got trick trucks um, and he just has a knack for super quick costume changes. I don't know how he gets the outfits so super quick. but yeah, uh, the kind of riddles that he drops everywhere as well, like his muscling on a Riddler's game or mm. Puzzler, which we see in the second season. I feel like if you have the ability to do things like, I mean, that, like the car, that the van that he's in, that they kind of drive around a corner and then it turns into a different type of car. If you have the ability to do something like that, surely you'd like that would be your gimmick? Like, you know, the ability to transform into other things or, yeah. you know, not... I don't know, whatever the whatever the hell false faces thing actually turns out to be. What I thought was fascinating is throughout the episodes, we start seeing various characters get uh, portrayed by false face. So he takes over as Chief O'Hara in one instance and Commissioner Gordon later in that episode. It's false face, disguised as myself. Right you are, O'Hara. Welcome to Dreamland. And while he's playing Chief O'Hara, he is very stilted and performing in a very specific way. And then suddenly Commissioner Gordon is a very animated version of it. So I don't know, <laughs> is it just that Chief O'Hara's Irish brogue is too hard to pull off for false face or what's the deal? I don't know, but I'm glad you brought that up because I just thought the one thing this series does not need is two Chief O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Now, speaking of, we do see Chief O'Hara right at the beginning of the episode. Uh, there's some crown jewels that are being protected by O'Hara and some of Gotham City's uh, police detectives. They're standing around in front of it. Falseface just rocks up, takes the jewels, escapes. So he's managed to steal the crown from in front of Gotham's finest and Chief O'Hara. Yeah. Uh, the Princess Mergenberg crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I didn't catch that when I was actually watching the episode. Sounds like it's because she has a mumble name. <laughs> she yeah. sure does. And yeah. of course, it, uh, the woman that came in claiming to be the princess was, of course, the sidekick of Falseface. Yeah, the Lays herself. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could kind of pick the phony accent a mile off. So, yeah, that was... <laughs> Maybe a bit of a clue. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there's a beard bomb and then oh there's God. a... Beard, that is like the best reveal of a villain <laughs> yeah. ever. Meanwhile, he's, he's he has, you know, because Falseface false face has this plastic face over his face and then he reveals a plastic beard <laughs> clearly over the top of his plastic face. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how we find out. I know. That's how we find <laughs> out it's him. Um, yeah, very, I was very impressed. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked. The level of special effects. Mm. And for 1966 as well. The pre-production for all these capers is false face. I mean, <laughs> a lot of thought goes effort. into these, absolutely. Uh, so the guy playing false face, uh, it's an actor named Malachi Throne. Uh, he was a prolific TV actor who appeared in pretty much every TV show throughout the 60s. Lots of Star Trek episodes, The Man from Uncle, that kind of thing. Uh, but what I thought was notable going through his IMDb is the guy, while he's just mostly just a TV actor throughout the years, his son did something that I thought was particularly notable. In the early 90s, he was part of a little Aaron Spelling TV show called The Heights. 
Now, does anyone remember The Heights? I do not. Vaguely. This was about a fictional band, like a band in their young 20s, and the actors in the show performed a song, and the song itself came out as part of the Heights soundtrack album, and the song went to at least number one in Australia. I don't know about everywhere else in the world, and that song was Fiona. How do I talk to an angel? Exactly. I didn't even look that up when you just said that. <laughs> Back there in the memory bank. There yeah. you go. The more you know. Wait, we're not even talking about an actor from Batman at this point, are we? We're talking about his child. His, his child. child. Okay, yep. And then the TV series he was in that was cancelled yeah. after 13 episodes. Uh, and the yep. guy that was in that, that was also on other TV shows, that also got cancelled. Okay, I think yeah. I'm still following. Mm. Let's get back to Batman, shall we? I'd appreciate that. Um, I like that Batman was able to deduce the sort of quasi-riddle that was put out by Falseface, and he worked out that the lighter armoured car company was involved in this. Falseface always says the opposite of what he means. Again, a, like a real, there are some real leaps of logic in that <laughs> uh, that deduction process. I don't know. I feel like as soon as you get opposites like coming in as a as a theme, it's you know you know it's not going to make much sense. Yeah, it just seems to me like someone's proven himself not to be the master detective that Batman is. Yeah. You're just like, oh, these are just crazy leaps. But if you know what you're looking for, as Batman truly does, that's that's true. <laughs> but then when Batman does put it to the general manager of the Lad Armored Truck Company. This gentleman seems dangerously unprepared for the idea of having one of his armoured trucks go astray. Don't you think? He just seems... <laughs> it's like, how Never crossed happen? his mind that this might actually happen, but I would think it's a fairly obvious occupational... Yeah, you'd want to take care, of those, take care of those trucks. Yeah. I did like the moment where you find out that false face, the like, masterful makeup work doesn't end at that beard, but rather we see Blaze end up turning up to Commissioner Gordon's office as a like rickety old man. Uh, are you Batman, Shani? I am. And then he gets revealed to be Blaze, the attractive young lady that she is. Oh, it's the best. I, feel, I love the kind of just uh, the repeated sight gag throughout both of the parts of like a character who just is, you know, looks like a normal person being revealed to be false face or in this case, uh, Blaze. Yeah. Um, and then in the subsequent shots, we see them holding like a plastic <laughs> mask in their hand. Or then it just cuts back to them and it's clearly a plastic mask you've been looking at all along. <laughs> it's like now that How you know what tell? you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, down on the street, you find the owner of the Lad Armored Car Company, who's very disgruntled. But as Batman proves, like it was obvious that it was something that was going awry because you would never find someone who's a licensed bonded guard so callously parked in front of a fire hydrant. It's always the little things. I like that was his tell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't call Batman the world's greatest detective for nothing. This no, that's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they got Al Capone for tax evasion. So if they can get... <laughs> False face for parking in front of a fire hydrant. You know, we'll take it. Yeah, and then what we see now is an exciting chase scene. Sorry, exciting in quotes. Uh, around the Warner Brothers back lot, where they just go around a block and come back and he managed to elude the fuzz. All of the chase scenes in both of these episodes really started to blend into one by the end of it. It just feel a lot of it is one long extended chase scene as False face is switching himself out again and again and again for various characters in the show. Yeah, well, the weird thing, and I mentioned this in last week's podcast, I did the Warner Brothers backlot tour, and a lot of these blocks are still there. So I'd kind mm-hmm. of been there a few weeks ago, and it was kind of weird and surreal. But the second lot of chases, when they're in the Old West, that's actually a different backlot entirely. That's the 20th Century Fox backlot. Howdy, partners. What's all the rockets? There's a criminal. So anytime you see Western stuff, that's usually there. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Know your backlots. <laughs> know your backlots. That's the one thing you can take away yeah. from this podcast. Uh, yeah, now, 
Something I thought was really progressive of the show, at least when I was watching it, but then I got to the credits, not so much. Uh, you've got the henchmen of False Face. So you've got Blaze, but then you've got these th uh, two to three guys of whom are there in the backgrounds. There's one person and he's a little person. Mm -hmm. And they don't make any mention of the fact that he's a little person throughout the entire two-parter. And I thought that's really cool and progressive. But then I looked at the closing credits and they said Billy Curtis, who's credited as Midget, and that kind of mm. upset the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, but then I started looking into him because I'm like, surely an actor of diminutive size, like at this time of the period, surely he was a munchkin, and he certainly was. So he was an uncredited munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. And according to one of the things, I think it was IMDb trivia again, to take this for the grain of salt that it is, but the line here was, Billy Curtis was the main reason for Judy Garland making the comment that munchkins were, quote unquote, little drunks. Apparently, he made several passes at her during the production of The Wizard of Oz, to which she responded, Mother wouldn't approve. I say do the deep six with her. Not so fast, Spinkle. I make the moves in this mob. Yes, sir. Oh, goodness. Oh. Nah. This, but, I mean, this doesn't, that doesn't come across in his performance yeah. in these episodes of Batman. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, but yeah, apparently he also played Mayor McCheese in the McDonald's ads throughout the <laughs> 70s and 80s. <laughs> well, what a, quite a career. Yeah, yeah, very much so. The more you know. Okay. Uh, False Face, he did take over from Chief O'Hara at one point in the episode as well. Now, I think he probably would have been given away like within seconds by the marked improvement in the competence of Chief O'Hara, but somehow <laughs> that didn't give him away. No, I think it was, you know, he seemed uh, more focused on hiding the fact that he couldn't speak with Chief O'Hara's voice. Was he, had a, he had a cold at various points. He was like muffling, <laughs> his, muffling his mouth. Yeah, if he gets you through the day. Sure. Now, I'm a very big believer in train station safety, and I was very concerned about Batman and Robin standing way too close to the edge when the train was going past. Was anyone else worried about Batman and Robin's safety here? Uh, Just me? No, not at that, not at that particular, <laughs> particular moment. <laughs> Maybe when they were strapped to the tracks? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the danger came, uh, came then. <laughs> They're always going to get out of it. Sure, sure. I mean, I like you know, it was it was unclear how they would be able to escape from what was clearly kind of glad wrap um, <laughs> on close inspection, uh, holding them down. But uh, they got there in what was like the most kind of convoluted <laughs> escape plan ever. Like I was unable to kind of make the connection from the uh, the message they heard on the radio that allowed them eventually to get Alfred's help to escape yeah. and them actually escaping. And now the cultural hour brings you a special message. Uh, to the friends of Batman, many are called, but two are chosen. Be receptive. Now we return to the fragile intricacies of Mozart. Because it was yeah. clearly planned by by Bla is it Blaze? Blaze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't quite catch that either. But it was a paid announcement on the radio, paid with a check that was going to bounce. Yes. That. But it was just a, like a really kind of vague message that indicated something that uh, Alfred heard and was able to put together that it was referring to Batman <laughs> and Robin, which then led him to contact Batman. But how Blaze knew that that would be the connection, that yeah. how Blaze even knew of Alfred's existence, yeah. uh, let alone how he'd put that together to save Batman, I, I wasn't quite sure what she was getting out there. Yeah, I mean, the message was so vague that the radio man thought it was a religious announcement. Sure, which was actually <laughs> one of my favourite lines <laughs> of the, uh, the episode, which was... Um, Batman saying, I don't think we should treat religion lightly. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course not. I merely meant I treated it as part of the day's work. <laughs> 
Um, I thought it was particularly good at the end where one of the things I have noticed over the previous episodes of Batman is how little Commissioner Gordon's given to do. Chief O'Hara is constantly out there bungling his way through quote-unquote police work, uh, but Commissioner Gordon, he's just taking the occasional meeting in his office and ringing the bat phone and occasionally flipping the bat signal on the times that he kind of feels that Batman and Robin aren't going to be there to answer the phone. But we actually saw Neil Hamilton, like, given an extra scene in this, where he's out and about in the Old West uh, later on, which was at Bioscope Studios. Sure, he got to, he got to play a kind of crucial role at the climax of the, uh, of the episode yeah. as, uh, as Falseface briefly. Yeah, um, I was particularly taken with the very final scene where Blaze is completely reformed, as all female leads in the show are. So she was reformed thanks to the Wayne Foundation's Criminal Rehabilitation Fund, and apparently she's off to New Zealand to keep house for a sheep-herding brother. Meanwhile, Rehabilitation Fund, like, just (laughs) given the way she's acting in the scene, screams brainwashing to me. Like, she just kind of wanders out like docile in, in Wayne Manor and says, you know, thanks to the generosity of Bruce Wayne's rehabilitation fund, uh, I'm fine now. I don't know. There was kind of a... I, I was surprised at the extent to which across both of these episodes, Batman is constantly willing to assume that she's just been kind of led astray, that she's not actually a bad yeah. person. This country, He keeps coming back. He's like forgives her at every opportunity. And then at the end, uh, apparently she's a good person. The ladies always get off lightly. <laughs> they do get the, sure. the, yeah, well, the trouble back. Last week's episode ended the exact same way with yeah. the young woman that Richard Grayson went to school with mm-hmm. turning up in their lounge room and getting rehabilitated. Susie. Yeah, it's yeah. always when you've got a troubled troubled home life that they give you an extra break. <laughs> and apparently lobotomise you and send you off to New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> like, do we know it's a lobotomisation or not just heavily drugged? Well, dr- I mean, drugging would she'd have to you know would require some maintenance over time. Yeah. <laughs> she bring her supply with her to New Zealand. I yeah. think uh, lobotomy is probably what happened. I don't know. Once you farmed her off to New Zealand, like who really cares what she's up to there? <laughs> who cares what she does to the? Was it was it a sheep farmer? Yeah, it was a, yeah. well, sheep herding. I sheep think herder. they said. Oh, yes. I don't know if there's a difference between a herder and a farmer. But her, it was a poor but honest brother. An entire new life. Well, I think that's simply fine. Yeah. I'm gonna look after her. Anyway, it's a good ending. It was an ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did we enjoy this episode? I I quite enjoyed the first part because uh, I feel like there was a lot going on. It was very... I, I'm going to be completely honest here, and this was the first time I've ever seen the original Batman series, and I was surprised at how funny the show is. It's genuinely <laughs> really funny. Yeah. Um, and there was kind of enough going on in the first part that I quite enjoyed it, but I just feel like... The second part just dragged on and on and on. And it just seemed to be every time they would be about to catch false face at any given point, And then he would switch identities with someone and, and it would the chase would be extended for another five minutes. By the end of it, I was just like, God, he's clearly not that great a criminal. I mean, his plan made no sense. Like he was going to what? Switch out money in a bank with all this counterfeit money that would be literally indistinguishable from the real money, which kind of begs the question, why is he switching it out? Because they said part of the problem is that no one will be able to tell the real money from the fake money. So he's essentially just adding a bunch of money to circulation. So what, his plan is inflation? Gosh, nobody's money be worth anything except false spaces. Like I didn't, I didn't, (laughs) 
I don't know, none of that really made any sense. And yet he proved uh, surprisingly difficult to capture. Yeah, so the way the show usually works is the first episode will have a lot more Batman and Robin. And by the time the second episode starts kicking into gear, the villain usually takes a greater prominence in the episode because it's kind of established and they sort of get past the riddle solving to work out what's going on. And then it's more or less sort of mano a mano whether against the villain. But when you've got a villain like this who had no real presence because he has no face to really sort of emote with and didn't really have a character to speak of, like it did feel flat in the second half when they're in the old west it's you know and what's it, going on there like right at the very end i was expecting because we had those kind of question marks like i was thinking that that was going to be the question marks over the actor's name in the opening credits of both episodes i thought that was going to be some like big reveal that it would be some known actor mm. at the end we don't even see what false face looks like under the mask it gets to the end of the second episode nothing happens there's no reveal he's just dragged off as false face this is what i don't get they keep on saying that nobody knows who he is this guy's been arrested before surely like like, do the police not take off his mask at some stage during the arraignment process? Maybe he passes it off as like a kind of religious symbol. Like he can't, <laughs> he, it would be a violation of his, his religious freedom to take, to take off the mask. Yeah. Story checks out. So Ben, you mentioned in the last segment that you have never watched the 1966 Batman before. No, never. I don't know. I don't know how this has happened. I feel like it, it was kind of, it was a strange experience watching it because it's one of those things that's so parodied and so <laughs> kind of salient in popular culture that I felt like I had seen it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've seen Adam West in a million things, often kind of parodying himself from this series uh, and have, have you know read a lot of kind of Batman comics, but uh, it was something else actually watching it. I feel bad giving you an episode that didn't have a really prominent villain in it now. Like you watch, <laughs> say, the Joker or the Riddler, and these are like really great powerhouse performances that really lift the show up quite a bit. Well, I'll be, I'll be going back. Yeah, you should. I mean, all the episodes are there on SBS On Demand. And of course, SBS Viceland every Fridays at 6.35. Uh, but you grew up watching Batman and reading comics. Like, who's your Batman? Ah. <sighs> I mean, the first time I probably came across Batman was the, um, like, unfortunately, I'm at the age where when I was old enough to be interested in Batman, the next movie that came out was, I think, Batman Forever. Yeah. And then shortly after that, Batman and Robin. So they were probably the, <laughs> the biggest kind of influences on my experience of Batman as a kid. But then as an adult, I got really into comic books. And so kind of went back and read a lot of Batman comics then, like The Dark Knight Returns, which is a really kind of seminal Batman comic from the 80s. It's kind of what got me into comics as an an adult. Uh, And so I think because so much of my experience of reading Batman is through comics, I just totally kind of picture him in comic book form much more than I do on screen now. Yeah. So when you think about Batman, like in terms of a video or like a TV or a movie character, like do you think of him then as Val Kilmer if he was your Batman in 95? I probably think of him as some amalgam of Val Kilmer and George Clooney in the kind of rubber batsuit <laughs> looking ridiculous. Or I, I always have this like really particular image in my head from Batman and Robin of like the, the Bat family, all three of them. So I had Batman yeah. and Robin and then Batgirl mm-hmm. uh, all in these like rubber nippled outfits on their like, mo- I think they had bat bikes at that point. So that's probably what comes to mind when I think of uh, Batman on screen. Yeah. Have you ever gone back and watched the Michael Keaton Batmans? I have, yeah. And, yeah. and I love I love Batman Returns, probably more even than uh, than the first Michael Keaton film. Yeah. Well, it is better. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, definitively. Yeah. <laughs> the animated series in the 90s, were you across that? No, no. No, not really. I never... I mean, I remember being aware of it, but I was always a Marvel guy. 
because among comic readers that's kind of a, a big ridiculous divide between Marvel and DC readers and Batman's a, a, a flagship DC character and so I read a lot more kind of Spider-Man and X-Men but going back to it as an adult I suppose I ended up getting really into kind of the more peripheral kind of uh, Batman stuff so less the kind of main Batman series and more things like this great series called Gotham Central which was set in like the the Gotham Police Department kind of about the cops who sort of deal with Batman's crimes yeah it's um, like homicide life on the street but with Batman totally totally yeah. that's exactly that's exactly what it was and and so tended to kind of enjoy those sorts of things more I think part of the reason why I've I've always been a bit wary of Batman as a character despite his like you know he's kind of the like comic book hero and the kind of comic book character he's often a bit of a fascist. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the I mentioned The Dark Knight Returns before and it, it was so this this very kind of influential uh, Frank Miller comic from 1986, I think, and it's often kind of seen in retrospect as the comic that sort of ushered in uh, really the age of kind of gritty, dark, gritty superhero comics that kind of have persisted really even till now. But you go back and read some of that stuff and it's just kind of Batman using his kind of war on crime rhetoric as an excuse to like you know, beat the shit out of criminals on the streets for whatever reason. Yeah, well, that comic's kind of like a uh, retaliation against the Adam West Batman TV show while mixing in a whole lot of 1980s sort of Reaganistic politics into it. Yeah, but it's hard to even call it a kind of, uh, like a rejection of those sorts of politics. It's this kind of, you know, the world is a dark and terrible place and we need someone like Batman to come in and and sort of make it better. But I actually, I found watching the TV show for, for this episode really... Like it was really kind of heartening, really sort of refreshing to sort of see Batman be allowed to be so silly and so so camp, which was obviously, yeah. the, I guess, the public perception of him for, for a long time after the TV series. Uh, now, obviously, if you've grown up reading Batman primarily as a comic book character, I mean, your introduction was the Joel Schumacher movies. So there's a certain <laughs> level of Batman as sort of a queer text there. But the 1960s Batman is very much sort of steeped in campness. Oh, my God, it's so gay. And it's <laughs> so much gayer than I was expecting it to be as well. There was a line, hang on, I'll, I'll just... Uh, <laughs> find this is it dick grayson's aunt yeah aunt yes, harriet. harriet so she's the old woman that yep. is yeah. just hanging around she introduced says, the show with the idea that if there's a woman living in a household then it doesn't seem so strange three men living there together sure yeah sure yeah and that holds up particularly with her saying things like dick i found one of your specimens uh, immediately before bruce wayne says but we were just going to uh uh, a ramble in the woods, Aunt Harriet. Uh, nature in the raw, so to speak. So to speak, which, you know, because I'm a, um, a smart peddler, I couldn't help but read in the smuttiest way possible. But I was surprised at, like, how out there how out there it was. Yeah, purposefully so. Like, these things were included in a show for, you know, with great obviousness. Sure, yes, yeah. and that, uh, that, that does come across. I mean, the whole thing does feel much more self-aware than I was expecting. Yeah. Like, it's hard to know exactly where the gay subtext in Batman first came from because obviously the 1966 TV show is full of that subtext, but over 10 years earlier was the uh, the publication of a book, a fairly kind of famous book called The Seduction of the Innocent by a an American psychiatrist called Frederick Wortham, I think is how you say his name, um, who, who wrote this book kind of condemning the influence of comic books on delinquent young people. And one of the claims he makes in this book is that 
Batman and Robin's relationship has all this gay subtext to it. It seems like at least since then, with every incarnation of Batman and Robin either being a reaction against the idea that they're a gay couple or like playing with that idea as you see in the the TV series. And so it seems like ironically, maybe this guy created gay Batman by condemning it in this book in 1954. Yeah. And it seems a bit fanciful that we're talking about comics having an influence over all these kids. But keep in mind back then, comic books were huge. It's not like today where kids are playing video games or watching TV or, you know, watching things online. Like comic books really were a mass mainstream medium for a lot of kids back in the day. It wasn't just basement dwellers like myself now as adult men reading comics, but it was mainstream stuff. And so when this book came out, it really was this sort of massive fear about what are our kids really consuming? Totally huge moral panic and not just around uh, the kind of sex in comics, but in a lot of violence, there were a lot of kind of really quite graphic, I mean, there still are, but quite graphically violent comics around at the time. And so gay Batman being this kind of, uh, this way of the gays kind of getting into people's homes through comic books, I guess, was the fear. Well, well done, Frederick, because they've taken it and run with it in 66 Batman, haven't they? Yeah, thanks. Bless you, Batman. Every law-abiding citizen of Gotham City goes with you today in spirit. And if it were possible, in body. It's funny, I think um, Dick Grayson has remained a bit of a... uh, Gay icon is maybe too strong a term, but... But he does have those shorts. Yeah, well, totally. Like, Dick Grayson's arse, having having a nice (laughs) arse is like a running joke now in Batman comics. So he's this total kind of sex symbol, you know, whereas Batman, Bruce Wayne kind of exists in this sort of untouchable world of like hyper-masculine gruffness that feels very, very far away, at least to me, from anything sexual. Yeah, I give him a bit more grounding there. Uh, The Dick Grayson character in the comics these days, he's got the alias Nightwing and there's other characters that have been Robin since then. Uh, But he is supposed to be a very attractive young man. I think he was a model for a little while, or at least very much has model good looks. And the joke is that he's... He has great hair. (laughs) The great is he's got this amazing butt, which they're often highlighting in the comic books. But when they were casting Nightwing in a new Teen Titans TV show that they're producing, Teen Titans is a superhero team Robin's a member of. But like the question immediately became like the actor they've just cast, and I forget the gentleman's name, but like, how is this behind? Like that was the immediate question that came out from Rose the Fandom. So it's not just a like sub, you know, audience of whom are obsessed with like his physique, but rather it's a mainstream Robin thing now. Well, the, and the obvious question is how, how is it? Uh, well, I'm not too sure. It remains unanswered yet. Oh, oh, so we don't right. know. We don't know. I'm sure there'll be an unveiling. Imagine being stunt cast for your bum. <laughs> We do like to wind out the podcast every week with the lessons that we've learned from this week's Batman. Uh, ben, you're our guest. What do you take away from this week? Look, in the opening scene where Falseface is introduced in the kind of getaway, the woman who turns out to be Blaze tears off her cape and it inflates and somehow stops the cops from getting away. And it's, it's very, very strange. But what I learned from that, my lesson is that capes can be not only a stylish accessory but a way to stop pursuing policemen. Holy transistors. Let's go. Fiona, your takeaways? Well, a variation on the same theme. Mine's also inflatable. You never know when you might need an inflatable Batmobile. At the end of the episode, apparently Batman's had one, just you never know when you might need it. And confrontation with false face, now's the time. Yeah. Mine's also inflatable, the name of my grinder profile, by the way. <laughs> Look, I try to be very civically minded when I'm out on the roads. I'll drive to the speed limit. I'll, you know, adhere to proper parking signals, uh, like driving signals and whatnot. But from now on, I'm definitely not parking in front of fire hydrants. 
I know this may tip me off possibly as the criminal mastermind that I truly am. Okay, guys, this is the end of Batman Land for another week. Ben, how do people find you on, like, we'll say Twitter. That's probably the best way sure, to go Sure, people here. can find me at Ben C. Riley, R-I-L-E-Y, on Twitter or at Queers Podcast if they want to check out the podcast. Fantastic. Fiona, you're still on the Twitter, right? Oh, yeah, I dabble now and Haven't then. Have you given up? No. I'm currently at anything but Fifi. Yep, and you can find me at the Dan Barrett. And when you are tweeting either us or tweeting out to the world, talk about the Batman Land podcast. Use the hashtag Batman Land. Also, this podcast, if you're enjoying it, subscribe to it, which you probably already have, but tell your friends, tell your friends' friends. People need to be listening to this podcast for my own self-esteem needs. So give that a go. Uh, you can find Batman Land every Friday night on SBS Viceland. You can watch prior episodes on SBS On Demand. And I'd just like to say, Ben, thanks so much for stopping by Batman Land this week. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I had a chance to smut up your podcast a little bit. And Fiona, as always, thank you very much oh, for your companionship. You. Thank you. And we'll be back next week. We're going to be dealing with the first appearance of Catwoman. We're very excited. Guys, tune in. Same Batland time, same Batland channel.